This is Joe Cole, and you're listening to the London is Blue podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, of the London is Blue podcast, hopefully your favorite Chelsea podcast. And again, the summer transfer window does not sleep every minute, every hour, every second, every day. There's something happening. Dan, one of your hosts here, no Brandon and Nick, but we have the wonderful, the erudite, the ever-informed member of the Evening Standard, Nazar Kinsella here, Joining us back again after a little bit of non-league football the other night, getting a chance to take in a little bit of the lower leagues. Naz, the majesty of the game, the beautiful game, what did you see before we talk about all the Chelsea nonsense? Yeah, well, the non-league day was good. Uh, went to Dulwich Hamlet um, against Canvey, uh, Canvey uh, Island. Uh, and uh, yeah, it was a good little day out. A few beers were had, but... I was still on my phone doing Chelsea work, so it was kind of a weird one. I was trying to catch the goals 4-1 amid sort of Lavia and Elise news breaking last night. Well, we're sorry that Chelsea tried to ruin your non-league day, but it does sound like you had a good time. And you mentioned the names. We're going to get into talking about the Lavia deal, how that's getting close to its conclusion, the Elise deal, where that's standing. Ziesh, other names that have popped up since I put together a script, went to bed and woke up to get the chance to chat with you now here. And then all the other things, particularly even the ambition of Chelsea's new owners and how it might be unmatched, at least within the Premier League over the last few years, few seasons. So we're going to get into all that but real quick. We just want to thank everybody for supporting the show. At least five star reviews and Apple Podcasts and Spotify helps people find us, helps people like us, feel very happy that you think that the work is worthy of 10 seconds of your time. Uh, you also can follow us on YouTube, subscribe there, get notified. We put all the videos there. It's exciting. And then you can also uh, join us on patreon.com forward slash London Blue Pod. Support the pod that way too. It's a wonderful way to get involved with our Discord community. But Naz, let's get into it. Romeo Lavia, Southampton, fee agreed, 53 million pounds plus five. You talk about just being what a day from us and our perspective. It might've felt like a assault to throw Liverpool off their game initially, but the gambit materialized into signing another midfield player for Chelsea. The midfield recruitment feels over for at least a short bit of time for Chelsea. How did this go from the bid to the signing in a very escalated manner? Because it feels like, relative to the Caicedo deal. This is a very quick bit of business from Chelsea. Yeah, yeah, it definitely was. I mean, Caicedo rumbled on all summer. Chelsea's number one transfer target in any position this summer was was Moises Caicedo. And I think that that's sort of why the Lavia deal went fast in a way, because it was almost like, let's get the uh, Caicedo deal out of the way and then we'll go for Lavia. And and Lavia was uh, probably a much easier deal to do. You knew if you bid over £50 million, you would have got him. So I think that that was sort of Chelsea's position there. They were like, let's get Caicedo done and we'll see what the lay of the land is after that. And they ju- and they thought, oh, we want two. We want two midfielders. Lavi is the next best one. Let's go and get him. We know him. Uh, Joe Shields is the um, co-director of of, uh, of of recruitment at the club and, and he sort of knows him from the past, not just Southampton, but Manchester City as well. Knew all the deals. Everyone... You know, people at Chelsea with Joe there, they knew, you know, exactly what was in the contract to get it done. So they've gone and done it, um, secured Lavia. But 
it's quite interesting actually that Lavia Chelsea actually contacted Lavia first before Liverpool, but then they just didn't make any bids. Then Liverpool made sort of three bids, um, couldn't get the deal done. Chelsea just swoop in, pay the money, jobs are good, and they've got him. So um, that's kind of how it went last week. But I was in a bit of shock really about the whole thing. I thought. Is it Lavier instead of Caicedo initially? You know, does it mean that they're not going to get Caicedo? No, it meant they were getting both. They wanted both, and they got both, and Liverpool have ended up with nothing to to make things even sweeter for Chelsea fans. Yeah, I'm sure you've seen the LFC meme with the Lavia, Fernandez, and Caicedo that people are talking about Chelsea's midfield being the the new LFC, the right LFC on the mark and in the Premier League. I think there's a couple interesting points, and I wonder if you've had a chance to be able to source these. We've seen reporting that and Hazard was contacted by Lavia to give some opinions or impressions on being in London as a player, playing for Chelsea. That might have had some influence. And we've also heard that Lavia's camp may or may not have felt disrespected by the fact that he seemed to be a second-choice option for Liverpool. I mean, we know that Liverpool were in for or trying to get Jude Bellingham earlier in the window. They went for Caicedo, went big for Caicedo, and that may have also played a factor as well. Yeah, maybe. I think that um, I've not heard about the Hazard stuff, but certainly I think that, um, you know, Chelsea made Lavia feel wanted when they did contact him in June. They were really, you know, they really impressed him with their plan. And um, I think he feels that there's space in the midfield with Caicedo even there. You know, you could you could play Enzo a bit further forward, which I think might be what ends up happening in a lot of games. Is that you know you get all three of the new new sort of signings of the last six months in the team. So I think that he feels that he can develop here at Chelsea now. Why Liverpool didn't get it done, um, you know, they've not been too forthcoming. But I can certainly tell you that they were very confident about getting Lavia for a long time. Um, they certainly felt like they had the player tied up. He wanted to join, but. It was as soon as Chelsea entered the race in a sort of heavy-handed manner, it's certainly, you know, all of a sudden their confidence drained out of them. And it was it was kind of surprising that not only did Caicedo turn down Liverpool, but so did so did the Lavia. And, you know, this is a club Liverpool that have stability, have Klopp, have Europa League football, yes, not Champions League, but they're in the Europa League, but they couldn't get anyone against Chelsea in this in this sort of battle. And uh, yeah, I mean it's staggering that Chelsea have managed to swoop in here. So you made a little bit of a mention to it with the idea that maybe all of these individuals will be playing on the pitch together, potentially for a period of time. We know that Christopher Nkunku is out for a prolonged period right now. We'll talk about some of the attacking options that Chelsea or one primary attacking option that Chelsea are going over that maybe indicate a, how they could play, but at least right now with, Lavia with Caicedo and with Fernandez, do you say do you see this potentially signaling a move to a more four three three formation for Pochettino in the the short term to try to address the fact that he's missing one of the most prolific elements of his attack? Yeah, I think that's a huge point. Um, I think that you know the way Chelsea played against Liverpool. Uh, on Sunday wasn't really the initial plan in pre-season. It wasn't what Chelsea were building towards, but Nkunku's injury sort of made them a bit more conservative. We saw Pochettino basically pick the lineup that I expected, apart from one change, which was, I thought, 
either Nkunku or, you know, maybe Mudrick would come in to replace him. Um, Mudrick was on the bench and uh, Disasi came in to replace Nkunku. Um, Chilwell moved up into a more forward position um, and, and it was kind of like a more solid uh, defensive lineup in a way, but similar formation. Um, you know, even just seeing Colwell play in sort of a left-back role was kind of a bit strange, especially with uh, Cucurella and Chilwell in the squad, but it worked really well. Um, but I think that what they want is sort of, um, you know, uh, mid- midfielders that can defend. I think that that will really underpin Chelsea's move to a 4-2-3-1. They need, they need sort of central midfielders who are outstanding defenders. Um, and, you know, with Lavia, sort of Caicedo in there and, and Enzo, they would have that. They would have that combativeness to sort of, Put in, you know, really attacking forwards and open light, an open sort of formation, and and let the let the fullbacks push on. And we saw how dangerous Reese James and, and Ben Chilwell were against Liverpool. They were the two most dangerous attacking players. So I think that Pochettino wants that strong spine just to allow those those fullbacks to really bomb on and and be aggressive. So the next thing that people consider beyond the excitement of, yes, we got another deal done. Another midfielder midfielder rebuild complete is a little bit of the sobering fact that there's impact to the existing squad to players that people may even have more affection for after watching them against Liverpool or a consideration for new signings and what that might mean for loans or for the amount of minutes they receive. I think names that would come to mind, Connor Gallagher, Andre Santos, Ugo Chukwu, who's most likely the loan candidate out of that bunch, but out of Santos and Gallagher, what's the thought about how this is going to impact the both of them? Yeah, I think they would... um... Most of them are available to leave Chelsea in some way or another. So Gallagher is probably more of a sale option, and that's because he's got two years left on his deal. Um, Chelsea haven't really made an effort to to renew his contract. I think they, you know, Pochettino really admires him. I think he's admired by the squad, great professional. But um, it just kind of feels like to me that Chelsea aren't backing him to be the long term option that they that they need in midfield you know it's just going by the behavior they've offered him out to many clubs as well um but Gallagher you know he's in a strong position I think he wants to keep fighting for his future as well and, and try and change some of those opinions which I totally respect and he I, I thought he was he did some things wrong against Liverpool but I think generally he was absolutely brilliant and um actually you know we it was Enzo Fernandez's best game for Chelsea, but Gallagher should take huge credit for that because the way he balanced out Enzo was absolutely outstanding. So, um, yeah, he he's in that sort of position. I think that Andre Santos, Chelsea would like to keep him around. I think they feel like coaching him, getting him to adapt to London and, and English football, learning the language, finish, finish off learning English will be great for him. So, um, you know, clubs do that sometimes. You know, Phil Foden, he had that sort of development where... He was in in behind the scenes with Pep Guardiola playing the odd few minutes here and there as an 18-year-old, 19-year-old, not playing that much football, but he never went on loan. And I think that that's how they see Santos's development at the moment. So he would be sort of a squad option. You'd see him coming off the bench, playing cup games, that kind of thing. Um, Uga, Uga Chukwu, I think he would be um, maybe a loan candidate um, along with Carney Chukwumeka. I think those two... Um, could go on loan. Um, you know, the plan 
Leslie came on ahead of Andre Santos, which I thought was interesting, um, you know, at the weekend. But uh, I thought that maybe that Andre would have been ahead, but actually um, he seemed not to be. But at the same time, I still think that Leslie's way more likely to to go on loan than Andre Santos. So I wouldn't read that much into that. And I think that, you know, he's a prime candidate to end up at Strasbourg, the Blue Co. Uh, partner club now in in the in the new Chelsea multi club model. Let's not forget. Yeah, that will uh, complete the supposed trio that should be arriving there, which would be uh, you know, and it would end up taking up what three of the seven total international loans that Chelsea could get away with. So I think that there's like that's another kind of consideration is you even in the multi-club model, you can't loan an indefinite indefinite number of people. At a certain point, you have to say like one here, one there. And maybe Chelsea will be in seven different countries in the near future. But at least right now, there's one option this window. So that's the one that's going to get all of the Chelsea players. One other point that you mentioned there. So we know that Gallagher is going to fight for a spot. He wants to change his opinions. Where are the most genuine levels of interest from teams looking to get a midfielder of Connor's caliber? You know, we know that there have been a lot of teams, even in the Premier League this season, in this preseason, who've been selling a ton of players. So I, I feel like there are a lot of new cash-rich teams that do have some money burning a hole in their pocket and might be able to meet the valuation that Chelsea have around Connor. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the two, when you mention money, I think the two you'd think of would be Spurs from Harry Kane and um, West Ham from Declan Rice. So they've kind of, you know, got money burning a hole in their pocket. Maybe even Brighton after the Caicedo deal, he'd be a great replacement for Caicedo, but there's not really been much suggestion of that so far from, uh, from anyone I've spoken to. So, uh, yeah, it seems to be Tottenham and West Ham are the most interested, but how much is Gallagher interested in West Ham is quite an interesting point. And he's also very Chelsea through and through. I mean, of almost any player, I think he's he's the most Chelsea through and through player I've come across uh, for a long time. Um, you know, just a real fan of the club. So the Tottenham thing would be strange for him, but I'm sure. But I think he's a really ambitious kid. He, what, he thinks he can play at a very high level. So... West Ham would have to do a great pitch for him to get him over there. I think it's it's going to be tough. He wants to play at the highest level possible. So Spurs might be a preference in a weird way. Um, but Spurs haven't really come in strong at the minute. So, uh, yeah, he's kind of had West Ham making offers. Chelsea, you know, want to charge West Ham too much money, you know, beyond what they think their valuation is. And, and Chelsea going, look, we've paid a lot for midfielders. Arsenal paid a lot for a midfielder. You guys have to pay a lot for our midfielder. And that's sort of Chelsea's logic. So, yeah, is it realistic what Chelsea are asking for Gallagher? They've asked for, you know, they've rejected a £40 million bid from from West Ham. For me, I think that's a fair bid. But Chelsea are looking at it and saying, look at these other clubs in the market. They've, you know, including us, we've paid more than that for midfielders in that position. So, so should you. Um, And they're trying to get really big money for Gallagher. Um, and I think that that sort of slowed things down. So it's an interesting one. Who's going to compromise? Is he ever going to leave? For me, I think there's a good chance that he stays and, and battles it out for another year and, and maybe leaves Chelsea next summer instead when he's just got one year left on his contract and maybe that little bit more leverage to to get the kind of move that he'd want. 
Well, we'll talk about tons more regarding incomings and outgoings after this ad break, so stay tuned. We'll be right back. There is no I in team, but there is one in Indeed, and that's the hiring platform you need to build yours. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. One of the things I love about Indeed is that they make hiring all in one place. It's easy because, well, candidates you invite are three times more likely to apply to your job than candidates who only see it in the search. When you get one step closer to the hire by immediately matching you with a quality candidate, it makes it go faster. And when you're looking to hire, the quicker you get the right person in the role, the better. So start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at indeed.com slash blue wire sports. That offer is good for a limited time. So claim your $75 credit now at indeed.com forward slash blue wire sports. Just go to indeed.com slash blue wire sports and support the show by saying you heard about it on this podcast. Indeed.com forward slash blue wire sports. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire. You need indeed. All right, Naz. So the next one we have to get into here is another one of the incomings that has a little bit of additional intrigue over the last 24 hours or so. But we've seen Elise from Crystal Palace as a concrete link to Chelsea that we have seen even your tweet indicating that the release clause that was rumored not to be in the contract, but apparently was in the contract, has been triggered that Chelsea are continuing, as you put it, business at a rapid pace. So... There was that element, and then there was separate reporting that has emerged regarding Crystal Palace are unhappy with how Chelsea have conducted themselves in the pursuit of Elise. The word tapping up has been used. The phrase tapping up has been used. So help us understand where what I thought in general was a pretty good relationship between Chelsea and Crystal Palace over the past couple of seasons with loans for players like Conor Gallagher, who we just talked about, Ruben Loftus-Cheek, potential other business that they were looking to do with Lewis Hall. It, it felt like there was a good ability between these two London clubs to work with one another, but it seems as if this is fraying some of the relationship. Yeah, it is. It's, it's interesting, that story that came out, um, Chelsea, you know, insisted that they've done nothing wrong and and all that and and yeah the the phrase tapping up's kind of old fashioned in English football I think it came out when Ashley Cole actually moved uh, to Chelsea from Arsenal and uh, there was huge anger about that that move from Arsenal side at the time um, uh, you know, but in reality I think that modern football's changed a lot so uh, it, it is quite common now that players at least through intermediaries will speak to clubs before they make a move now. Chelsea have that connection with Elise as well. The fact that he was in the academy until he was 16 years old. So um, there's there's all that those sorts of connections where they can make contact with him, you know, either indirectly or whatever. And and it's normal, it's common, it happens in football. But um, yeah, it seems like that some somebody at Crystal Palace has has put out a story that that they're frustrated with Chelsea and, and Chelsea have had a bit of a a brazen attitude in the transfer window in many ways. You know, they've uh, They've definitely upset Brighton um, and Liverpool now um, with their behaviour, but they've ended up getting the players they want. So it's kind of, you know, the ends justify the means in some way. And I think that that's just sort of Chelsea's mentality at the moment. They are the great disruptors of English football right now. It's it's what Todd Bowley, kind of how he runs his other businesses and it's kind of how he's come into football as well, you know, spending, you know, the when Elise's deal goes through, Chelsea will have spent £1 billion 
pound on transfers in three transfer windows. It would never, there's been never been a spending spree as aggressive or as fast as this. Of course, people might say FFP problems, but Chelsea have, uh, you know, have a way of paying for it. They believe through through spreading the co- cost of the contracts um, across many years. So it's it, it almost ties into the whole narrative around Chelsea right now that they are the great disruptors of, of not just English football, but world football. So, yeah, um, interesting because, like you said, they did have a good relationship with Palace and maybe it's a it's a bit less good right now, but what can Palace do? He's got a release clause. Um, we finally realised he's got a release clause and, uh, you know, it's up to Chelsea now to just complete the deal and, and hopefully he passes the medical because that's the biggest problem I see here is that he's torn his hamstring and he's going to have to pass a medical now, um, you know, before a move. So before we talk about the disruptive nature of Chelsea, which working in tech, I like the idea of disruption. I know that maybe English football at times does not love the idea of disruption as much as uh, I may. With Elise and the release clause, it, it feels as if, you know, we talk about this tapping up and the structure or how it's supposed to go, right? A club is supposed to go ask to speak to a player and then gets the approval from the club to go speak to the player. In general, the, I guess, prevailing wisdom today is that there is a intermediary or intermediary intermediaries between a club and a player or player's agent who back channel the conversation to identify things like interest with Elise. Maybe it's even asking things like, do you have a release clause? What's going on with your contract? How's your injury going? When do you, what's your timeline and understanding if there is a concrete interest before the club goes in to make a formal offer, because if there's no interest from the player with the player having a lot of power, why would you try to force a move if there is no, ability to get the get the deal across the line or similar to the Caicedo situation you know Liverpool make a bid but Caicedo only wanted Chelsea so it really was not advantageous for Liverpool to try to make the bid and then figure things out or even go into the press saying yeah we've got a deal agreed with Brighton but you don't have a deal agreed with the player yeah exactly yeah I think that it's almost a case of when does when does doing due diligence become tapping up? And I think that that's maybe where where the debate lies here. And and you mentioned that Liverpool example. Um, yeah, they would have had encouragement to make that bid. So uh, that made it even more painful for them, really, that they didn't get that deal done with Caicedo because they felt they had encouragement. They, you know, Liverpool never made a bid on a player and not thought they could get them. So uh, it was really quite an embarrassing situation. But with Elise, um, yeah, I think that just Chelsea just you know, acted quickly, aggressively um, and have kind of upset things. And hey, £35 million for a, a player like Elise, I think that's maybe another reason for Palace to be upset because if, if I were them, I think I'd want more. Yeah, maybe there's some level of financial compensation in the final terms where instead of it being the £35 million release clause, maybe Crystal Palace end up getting... 37 or 40 million pounds and everybody just feels good about it at the end of the day because it does feel as if Olise compared to the market rate for a player of his talents would be going for below market value at the 35 million pounds yeah yeah I'd probably say 45 million pounds if it you know that was the number that was quoted to me before the release clause became apparent so 
yeah, um, it was really a mystery. The release closed. Palace had never signalled it, so maybe that's where where some of the due diligence went, you know, into finding out about the release clause in the in the first place. And the other element is that there was a level of reporting that Lewis Hall would be heading to Palace on loan after signing an extension on his contract, but that seemingly has stalled. Is that a knock-on effect from this situation with Palace, from your understanding, or is it relative to the fact that there is concrete interest or some interest bubbling up that is permanent move consideration from other clubs for Hall? It's unclear, really, at this stage if the Elise situation's affected it, but it surely would if if that is really how Palace feel, um, that might be that might be the ultimate factor really at play here. I think it's probably even a bigger factor than selling him. Um, you know, certainly the plan initially from Chelsea was sign him up, loan him out. I mean, I think most Chelsea fans would have got behind it, and and to get a Premier League loan, I, I tweeted about it. It's, Eighteen is staggering. Mason Mount couldn't get a Premier League loan when he was 18. Reese James couldn't get a Premier League loan and neither could Levi Colwell. And they are three exceptional players. So um, for, for Lewis Hall to be in that position is outstanding. And, and to not accept a loan is, is yeah, I, I'd feel sorry for Lewis, especially if he ends up staying at Chelsea to not get that opportunity. Um, but I do think it'll go through in the end. It's not like Chelsea have withdrawn it. Um, they've just not, accepted it or allowed it to go through quite yet so um they might be it might even just simply be the case that Chelsea are too busy there's been loads of situations this summer where players have been sat around waiting for Chelsea to do stuff because they are literally so busy I mean you're spending uh 400 million pretty much in the transfer window you're gonna be very busy loads of players to go on loan and stuff like that so um, and maybe also Chelsea's just holding that little tiny bit of leverage when the deal's not quite gone through with Palace. So sure. I'm I'm reluctant I'm reluctant to say anything definitive right now. What I can say is that Lewis Hall has had permanent interest all summer, and Chelsea have not allowed him to go. They've sealed his new deal, um, and I think that everyone's just twiddling their thumbs a little bit, thinking what's happening here. But it's not that clear. But Lewis has had a lot of permanent interest, but Chelsea have have sought to time up, keep him, and you know, it would be a major curveball, which Chelsea have done many of this summer, but it would be a major curveball if they suddenly said, Oh, Lewis Hall's available despite signing a new six-year deal plus one. Uh it would be, you know, staggering, staggering curveball and pretty unpopular move with the fans, I imagine. Yeah, I don't know if I would love it. I feel like even when you look at just the limited sample size from last season, albeit it was in a terrible situation in an awful setup in terms of how Chelsea were playing and performing. The underlying stats were bordering on an elite level for a left back for someone who everyone was telling us midfielder, midfielder, midfielder. It feels as if he will have a home as a Premier League left back at a you know, in a top half table team as long as he wants it and can kind of continue his career trajectory. So I don't think it would be a popular decision with the supporters. I don't think it would necessarily be the left back that many Chelsea fans would want to see moved on. But we also understand that market considerations are what they are. And Chelsea, again, are that disruptive force. Before we talk about all the other transfer elements, I do want to talk about that a little bit because you brought it up. So Chelsea are, as you put it, on the verge of tipping $1 billion in spend on transfers since the takeover a year ago. You talk about how no other team has 
spent as much as quickly in football his- history, how the backing was spectacular. And I think that you rightfully raised the question, it has to now deliver results because of that level of investment can't go without or with another season of poor performance on the pitch. I, I feel as if things that are missing through that narrative that don't come up are the amount of sales that Chelsea are doing. Everybody looks at the spend, but they don't look at the fact that they sold Kai Havertz for a crazy amount, Mason Mount for a crazy amount. Basically, the sales of those two players equal to or around the same price as Moises Caicedo. So you would argue that those two players for one Caicedo, younger player, Premier League experience, feels like a really good trade in an area of need. And then there's also removing high wage earners off of Chelsea's transfer build. And there's still a few more left like Lukaku and Sterling. But in general, the, everyone now that they're bringing in has a, a much lower earning on a base level weekly. Now, I'm sure there's some escalators and bonuses and things that, you know, if you win the Premier League, if you get into Champions League, if you stay in Champions League, that maybe that would change the wage bill a bit. But at least on a base level, it feels like Chelsea are just going back to some core business fundamentals that weren't necessarily there and trying to build back from a good foundation where previously they were maybe more haphazard in the way that they doled out contracts and the way that they incentivize players to come to Chelsea. Yeah, I think the contracts thing is certainly valid. Um, I think that they've uh, really restructured and they're gonna, they're having a really close look at uh, just getting the wage bill right. It's not even a case of bringing it down, not just bringing it down, but Chelsea also in the past, if you looked at the last Abramovich team, all the best players were getting paid the least amount of money and all the worst players were getting paid the most amount of money. Now you go into contract negotiations, it's a real problem. I mean, it's one of the reasons Mason Mount left um, is, is that factor, looking at other players and thinking, if they're getting paid that, why not me? Um, and, and rightly so, to be honest, rightly so. And then you're looking at Raheem Sterling was probably the one outlier who gets paid loads as one of the first or literally the first signing of the new era. So um, Chelsea have sort of been restructuring that. I think that that's been a huge part. When you sign younger players, they generally will accept a lower deal and and be incentivized to to fight for maybe bigger contracts or have more bonus-based contracts. Or, or the fact that you've got a longer deal means that you're still getting paid loads of money over the duration of the contract, just not on a weekly basis. So um, that's where Chelsea have moved to, and they believe that players will stay hungrier for longer doing that. Um, and yeah, you're right to point out as well that uh, player sales have been a big part of allowing this to happen, especially academy players. Um, it's been a lot to do with football accounting. I've never learned so much about football accounting as I have under this ownership. They've really taught me a lot. Um, ripped up the ripped up the rule book to an extent, but it, they've, they've sort of found a way to balance the books, they believe. They also inherited a, quite a good position from Abramovich with player sales. I think the summer before they took over, Chelsea raised an absolute hell of a lot of money selling, you know, Abraham to Maury, uh, loads of other academy players, Liveramento, there's been sell-on clauses they've cashed in on as well. Um, You know, like the Liveramento deal to Newcastle, 15 million in Chelsea's bank. Um, So there's been a lot of that, but still, at the end of the day, they spent 1 billion on transfers, which is just absolutely staggering unprecedented number and uh, they are balancing the books but 
they are putting the risk into the future, I feel. So they need to be a certain level of success. Um, they certainly expected to qualify for the Champions League last season. Um, now they might be confident they'll do it again this season, but they need to go and do it and, and do it on the pitch. So it's not just about winning in the sort of boardroom, which they've done quite well, but they need to start getting results on the pitch. So I, mean, I definitely understand that. And I agree that, you know, it's a now a minimum expectation, I think, to be in Europa League again next season. I think a realistic ask would be also to qualify for the Champions League again, given the amount of investment, even though Pochettino is in his first season at Chelsea, even though the side is relatively young, we've seen his track record of being able to work with young teams and to have them maybe even overperform what their standard is in the moment through the systems and the work that he does and the training training ground to get the team prepared for the weekend one match a week it feels very obtainable with the amount of time he's going to get with the players i think it's a question around how quickly can chelsea get the commercial revenue up we know that there's the kit sponsorship that is waiting Premier League clearance because the company in question is an acquisition or a reformation of a company structure. And there's questions about, is it a fair market value? And the European competition and the money that comes in from that from broadcast, the sponsorship deals like the new kit deal, and then continued player sales, not ending that pipeline, but identifying opportunities where you might want to upgrade in a position or you might have an opportunity on a very long contract to get someone out. I mean, those are the three core pillars of Chelsea's business moving forward. And that doesn't necessarily feel as disruptive as the way that they've gone, gone about it in terms of the fact that it's really just offering longer contracts has been the mechanism to get some of these players in and distribute it over time. And as long as the revenues can keep up with the, uh, the books and keep pace that there's, there's the strategy makes sense. Like, I guess that's the question like, it feels like the strategy is in question and it's more because no one else has been doing this before, but sometimes people just have to be a trailblazer. Yeah, I guess so. I think Chelsea are taking advantage as well of their unique position of being one of the biggest clubs in, in England. You know, Newcastle would like to spend this much but can't. So Chelsea are Chelsea are really well placed and taking every advantage they can, especially after a difficult season where you need to sort of do that. So uh yeah, I think they feel like they're getting things back on track. There's certainly a positivity around um Chelsea uh, in the last game I was sort of pitch side after the match and saw the executives walking past and they were super happy they probably knew they'd tied up Caicedo by then there was a great big smile kind of sense of what do you think of this this is the new Chelsea so the confidence has sort of come back a little bit uh not just on the pitch but also off it so um yeah I'm starting to feel like I think I, on my last London is Blue pod I was saying that Six would be a good achievement. I think I said that I thought Chelsea would get beaten in pre-season in one of the games, but now I think I'm readjusting. I'm readjusting to be a bit more positive and proactive with Chelsea. And I think that Champions League is, like you said, realistic, especially now that maybe fifth place gets you in or almost certainly fifth place gets you in as well because of the new rules. So Chelsea should be looking at that and, and really pushing for it. Well, you know, you have to at least be in the Champions League if you're going to be back in the Club World Cup next season fighting for that trophy again and getting maybe a second one. But look, we're going to take a real quick and final ad break before we talk about players like ZS, Washington, Lukaku, and others. So stay tuned and we'll be right back. 
With the busy fall season just around the corner watching endless amounts of Premier League football, you might be looking for wholesome, convenient meals for jam-packed days. Factor, America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit, can help you fuel up fast with chef-prepared, dietitian-approved, ready-to-eat meals delivered straight to your door. You'll save time, you'll eat well, and you'll stay on track with your healthy, healthy lifestyle. You can refresh your healthy habits without missing a beat because you can choose from over 34 weekly flavor-packed, dietitian-approved meals ready to eat in two minutes. If you're too busy running around, during the day to think about lunch, keep your energy up with the lunch to go effortless wholesome meals like grain bowl salad toppers that are ready to eat when you're on the go. No microwave required. So head to factormeals.com forward slash London is blue 50 and use code London is blue 50 to get 50% off. That's code London is blue five zero at factormeals.com forward slash London is blue five zero to get 50% off. All right, Naz, so the first one I want to talk about in terms of players or work still remaining is Hakim Ziyech. You reported this morning, or I guess probably midday your time, that Hakim Ziyech was going to undergo a medical, move to Galatasaray, another exit from Chelsea, another player of the prior regime getting an opportunity to move out. What's your understanding about the timeline for the deal and it feels like there was a lot of interest previously for PSG. We know that happened with that. Didn't get the forms on time. We know there was interest from Saudi Arabia, but there was a medical issue. And now it feels like there's finally an offer from a club in Turkey that's saying, yes, we want to take him. Chelsea's saying, yes, we will let you have him and that a deal is going to go through. Yeah. Yeah. Dan, I think it's, um, Essentially one that will go through. The only thing that makes me concerned is that he's had so many transfers collapse around him that it, we could find this one collapse. But certainly the sort of deal between club to club is done, which is a huge step. Um, and now he needs to go and do personal terms in the medical. But um, it seems like the kind of club that you'd want to join in Ziyech's position. So it makes me feel a little bit optimistic that, that Chelsea fans will finally see the back of Ziyech. I know he's probably one that most people want to see leave. And also, I think in his defence, he he has been quite patient and um, probably should have left a long, long time ago. He's been at Chelsea too long. He's devalued. Um, he's a devalued asset and he just needs to get out um, really quick and, and and build on his career again because he's actually a good player that we, we like to watch. So, um, yeah, I think that let's hope it goes through, basically. I think that nobody at Chelsea is getting overconfident. They're... They're a bit, there's a bit of nervousness around everything with ZS. You know, they've also seen a Lukaku deal collapse as well. Um, so, um, yeah, these kind of guys are, are in a funny position where they're not even with the squad as well. So it's just a case of get them out. I don't think they're in ZS's case as well. They accepted an £8 million bid last time, which was very low from Al Nasser. And I don't think that they'll see that kind of money outside of Saudi Arabia. So it's not really a money making offer. It's more of a, money saving offer in terms of his wages let's just get him out and let's just get the wages off the books that's the and just get him out of the building as well because you just don't want him I know he's not with the squad but you just don't want him influencing things in a negative way and when he's you know probably so unhappy with being stuck at Chelsea um, for so long so yeah I think that it could go through let's hope it does and everyone can move on with their lives it is always nice when people get the opportunity to get a move or get a opportunity to hit the reset button in a way. And I think to the point you made, you know, we were looking at it beforehand before we started recording. It looked as if 
Ziyech probably has around 10 million in terms of total wages over this season and next season that he'd be due. So Chelsea would save effectively 5 million pounds this season, 5 million pounds next season, just by getting the wage off the book, they would eat most likely the amortized fee. If they could get one or 2 million pounds on top of it as a nice way to remove that off, that probably wouldn't hurt either but it feels like just even the 10 million pound savings would be it would be really exceptional for them another player that we talked about and just Lukaku who seemingly is the player who can't find a move or can't find a move that he doesn't scuttle himself that Chelsea have organized so we've seen reports out of Italy that Juventus are still interested even after fan protests in opposition of the move Juventus needs to raise funds to make it happen. We see Juventus moving on some players or getting some players out of the building. Does that still seem like the primary destination for Lukaku or will it go so late that Saudi Arabia may end up being the only option for Lukaku in a couple weeks time here? Yeah, I think you summed it up pretty accurately there. Um, I've been told the same that Juventus still want Lukaku despite the protests. I've been told, like you said, that, Juventus is the primary option, but Saudi Arabia, if it doesn't go through, then that's a that's a reasonable option. Don't forget, Chelsea effectively verbally accepted two offers already for Lukaku, and they're both still on the table. So they've got a transfer fee secured from Juventus. Uh, I think it's something like 37 million euros plus 2.5 million euros. And then they've got more money on the table from Al-Hilal, which is just 40 million pound up front. Both offers are accepted, so it's just a case of Rom now and also Juve sort of raising the funds to pay for him. So uh, if Juve don't raise the funds, then maybe it opens Al-Hilal. But there is the danger, actually, that Al-Hilal walks away um, because they are in pretty good talks with Mitrovic. There's sort of a sense that it's going to go through now. So you could see that one walk away and then you just all eggs in one basket for uh, Juventus and... Um, Will Juventus stick to their agreement or try and change the goalpost late if they think Chelsea are desperate? That could happen as well. So um, it is nervy times, but I think Chelsea could maybe even look for other clubs in Saudi Arabia to come back. So I think that that's probably what their negotiating position would be. Yes, Al-Hilal have gone, but look, we've got this other Saudi club that will do the deal. And um, yeah, it's... uh, it's very boring the Lukaku story because you're just like, man, move on, just move on. But everyone's sitting tight, everyone's waiting, and and it's also a case of how the transfer market is now. It's um, English clubs, Saudi clubs, and then everyone else, and and everyone else is waiting till the end of the window. Um, so anyone who wants to move overseas, you know, like Ziyech, like Lukaku, they're they're pretty much stuck waiting right up until the deadline day on September the first. Any other? rumor or curveball outgoings that you've heard about in terms of players to watch we know that Poch does want to decrease the size of the team that he works with and you've reported on that and it feels like there's still moves to be done and, and a part of that is Ziyech and Lukaku you know we talked about Connor as well with the interest that he has but any other player I mean most of the players at this point are players that you know are now <laughs> very young and in long contracts. So there's less and less of those players to move on at this point, but anyone that we should keep an eye on that may draw some interest over the next few weeks. Yeah. I think the only other ones are, um, Shalabar and, uh, Matson. Um, I don't think most fans want to see Matson leave after a good preseason, but, uh, he's still got his sort of future up in the air. I, I was speaking to Pochettino in preseason and, um, 
we would, you know, we had quite a lot of good moments with him, a lot of time with him, and he sort of said, "I, I might have to make some unpopular decisions because I don't want a big squad. I want 22 players. Uh, that's including goalkeepers. So, um, if he has to sell some players, then Martins are really, you know, uh, in a prime position to be sold because he's also um, playing out of position. Really, um, I think that also Poch would maybe like to look at centre backs at, at left back. We just saw Colwell playing there, so uh, a bit like Guardiola in his system. Poch's system is kind of similar, and um, you might see centre backs occasionally playing. Um, in fullback position. So Matson's not in a very good position at Chelsea, despite I know fans love him and, and love the way he played and stuff, but I think that there could be a temptation to cash in on him if you if Chelsea get a decent offer and they have an unbelievable amount of interest as out of all the players he might have the biggest market. Um Shalabar as well, he's in a really poor position because Chelsea have left it so late to sell him, but Chelsea do kind of want to sell him now after Secured Disasi, um, and you know, it kind of feels unfair to keep Shalabar around, in my opinion, with no European football and things like that. But um, he could be sold, uh, but I think he'd want a suitable offer. But the problem is, a lot of the big clubs have already signed centre backs. So if you want a centre back, you're like, I've got one, I've got one if you're a big club. So Shalabar's left in a position where his price is something around 50 million pounds, 45, 50 million pounds. Only the biggest clubs can pay that. He only wants to join the biggest clubs anyway, so that's cool. But um, they've all they've all pretty much secured centre backs, so he's kind of left in this slightly limbo position. Um, and uh, yeah, I kind of feel sorry for him because if he stays at Chelsea, I can't see him playing that many minutes because a lot of these new guys, including Colwell, who's just come back from loan, are going to get a real big push this season. So a couple of the last bits of note before we wrap on this one. So backup keeper. Chelsea still needs someone to go toe-to-toe with Sanchez after watching Kepa go to Real Madrid and say he can't wait to have them extend him or buy him permanently next season. Um, We've seen Petrovic as a new name from the New England Revolution. I think the only issue with that is that MLS has a shut transfer window at the moment, so replacing him would be a bit of a difficulty. Uh, It would also mean throwing up a... A, taking away one non-homegrown spot, you know, one international slot on a goalkeeper position. I mean, I guess if you have two who count in Sanchez and um, and Batnelli, I mean, I guess you can balance it that way. But it feels like that is one we've heard, but I don't know if it necessarily makes a ton of sense. Yeah, the other issue is Batnelli's injured at the moment. I don't know how bad his injury is, but he's a very, very good number three and um, potentially could cover a number two spot if you wanted to promote him. But how long is he out for? Uh, I really need to get to the bottom of this, actually. So note to self, check that. Um, so, yeah, that that sort of plays a factor in it as well, in that Chelsea need it. They're definitely after a number two uh, sort of goalkeeper. I think they do see Robert uh, Sanchez as a number one. He's going to take the number one shirt from Kepper as well. Um, so it's just a case of finding um, that number two. Um, I was quite surprised they'd loaned Kepper out before securing a number two. I think they must have goalies in mind. Um, I'm not sure if it'll be your man in the MLS, but um, it, it, certainly I think they've got some in mind. So I, I'm, I'm quite interested to find out who it is. I'm trying to be one of the first, if not the first, to find out, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, I think that yeah they're looking, they want someone, like you said, maybe English would be better and and also, how, how does Bettinelli play into this? But certainly they've 
they had Bergstrom on the bench against Liverpool at the weekend and and any chance he's got of going on loan is a bit on hold for the minute, but they're certainly planning to loan him. He's not really, you know, in the plan to become the number two or three. But again, I think that maybe that's why they loan Kepper out. Maybe they are comfortable with him as a sort of two slash three. Um, he's an international goalkeeper, played for Finland, um, did well in League One last season. So maybe they feel like, you know, if they had to, they could go into the season with Bettinelli as a number two and, and Bergstrom as a number three. So the last two bits of note, one with David Washington from Santos, another Brazilian that Chelsea have had some extreme interest in, particularly after they dialed down their pursuit of Wahi, who now has joined West Ham or is joining West Ham. So the Presidente from Brazil coming to Stamford Bridge, but taking a detour to Stroudsburg for the season. It seems like another bit of trying to find opportunities in the South American market for Chelsea to now have him pair up with Angelo again. Yeah, it's um, part of Chelsea's strategy, really. Um, I, I was looking at it, and um, Chelsea have actually provided like £50 million worth of players to Strasbourg if they loan him out. Angelo, who's already there, uh, and uh, Leslie Ogachukwu, um, if they have those three, they've got £50 million worth of players that Chelsea have sort of bought for them and given them. What a gift you could have as a sort of smaller, mid to smaller club in Europe. Um, so, yeah, that's quite interesting. But I think if we look at these deals, the best way to sort of characterise them is to look at Enzo Fernandez, how he joined Chelsea. He uh, he joined Chelsea via Benfica, £107 million, I think it was, but... Benfica signed him just six months before, just 23 games before uh, Chelsea did for something like 12, 13 million. So Chelsea trying to get a bit of a jump on these kind of clubs like Benfica and try and say, look, we'll develop our own talent. And this is this is how they're doing it. So, um, yeah, that's what you should expect from somebody like David Washington. Um, it'll be interesting to see how he does in, in Ligue 1. I think maybe some people will be getting subscriptions for Ligue 1 to see these guys. Uh, next season and see what they can do. Um, I have no idea about him really as a player or or anything like that. But but we'll see. He's just one of many great uh, young talents that Chelsea have got. They've got a hell of a stockpile at Cobham in the first team and now at Strasbourg. And the last one because. Nick has been super interested in this one. Mohamed Kudus from Ajax. It seems as if with the Elise interest and likely deal there that the Kudus deal doesn't happen this window and Chelsea will persevere on. But could we, can we rule out with Chelsea a shock bid at some point if they're feeling as if they have an opportunity to make a move? No, we can't rule it out. I think that the good thing about Nick's question on Kudus is that uh, it kind of touches upon something I've not mentioned, that Chelsea, yes, they've got all these deals lined up, including Elise in attack, but there is some feeling that Chelsea will sign in another forward on top of that. Like, I don't know if you think Kudus is a forward or a midfielder. There's some debate about that. Um, and I think that if Chelsea sign him, they'll be sort of envisaging him as a midfielder. Um, maybe, you know, you could say he's number 10. I think that's his best position. But um, I think that Chelsea will envisage that he's sort of a forward rather than uh, than a midfielder if they sign him because there is a feeling around Chelsea that they are kind of done in midfield now after signing Lavia, but uh, they do want a forward. So 
I wouldn't fully rule it out. I think there is a chance they could sign two more players, goalkeeper and forward. And uh, Kudus, they had big interest in. They've gone quiet on him. And now we've got Brighton, West Ham, uh, and maybe a few other clubs looking at Kudus. So uh, it's a, yeah, it could be, but I'm not, I've not heard a lot lately. And uh, I have tried to find out before this pod, by the way, to try and give you some fresh info. But right now, uh, it seems a bit quiet on Kudus, but I could never rule it out. And certainly I won't be ruling out another forward signing on top of Elise. Well, it feels as if if there is a forward signing, it's because between Jackson and Broya, Pochettino doesn't feel as if he's got enough firepower up top, particularly with Nkunku being out for an extended period. You have two matches left. We know that Broya has been back in first team training we've seen the bib we've seen the training photos we've seen his instagram post that it's all a matter of time i think he used like the clock emoji just count down until we see him again but you've got west ham and luton town which i don't know if they're the best examples to tell you if you've got a striker or second striker and broya between those two games and if you would get enough minutes to let poch know if he does or doesn't have the team that he needs but it feels like that other forward is a late next week to even the last week right down to the wire type of deal that would happen based upon player evaluation. Would that be a, a good assumption? Yeah, I think you're right. I think you've summed it up really well there because Pochettino does like to have a proper look at people before making his opinions. I mean, it's led to some not-so-ideal situations where players have gone out on loan a bit late, later than they would like to. People like Casadai, who, who joined Leicester City, um, have had a good look. He's had a good look at them um, and enjoyed a good pre-season with Chelsea, but ideally he'd like to be at Leicester earlier. But um, yeah, I think that that's sort of the situation with Breuer. Um, I do think that Poch likes him and suspects that he's going to be good enough. Um, I do think he's quite fit and ready to play soon. Um, so I, I think that he might be able to convince Chelsea not to sign a striker or sign a kind of striker that doesn't really threaten him. And I'm quite interested to see what, you know, we do think that Chelsea will sign a striker, but I'm quite interested to see what type of striker they sign. They sign an old guy who can just chip in, you know, here and there, a Weghorst type on loan. Um, do they sign a very young one who um, can maybe impact a little bit uh, if need be, if there's injury problems, but generally would be behind Breuer in the pecking order? Or, you know, I would be surprised to see a you know, really accomplished top striker come in um, like, you know, Vlahovic, who they're not that interested in. It would be a great surprise. And if Chelsea do sign a Vlahovic with just one game a week next season, it's not great for Breuer and it might push him out. So there is a, there's a balance to be struck here. Um, and I'm interested to see how Chelsea strike that balance. Oh, come on, Naz. We all know that next summer, Chelsea are going to be knocking on Brighton's door again for Ferguson and paying the absolute new British transfer record fee. For him, if it, if we've learned anything from the last couple of windows, that at least can't be ruled out in terms of who they would consider to uh, lead the line or add to their attacking lineup. Yeah, and what a player, by the way. What a player. I could see Chelsea doing just that. But yeah, that's no special information. That's just my personal opinion. I love that guy. Great player, Ferguson. 
Well, we appreciate all the hard work you're putting in and all the hours that you're committing, even when trying to take a day off and enjoy some non-league football, still on it as always. Thank you so much, Naz, for all of the updates today. And that's going to do it for this episode. So thank you, everybody, for watching and listening. Uh, Subscribe on YouTube. Leave five-star reviews. We appreciate all those things because we got more pods coming this way. We actually have a David Washington special that we'll be dropping in very short order that I'm sure Naz is going to listen to to get educated up as well. And more and more content to come. But thank you so much. And until next time, you know what to do. Keep a blue flag flying high.